All right, good morning, Antioch. Welcome home. <laughs> David and I have been here since early 2017, and the last few months I've been serving as the co-director with Angela West in the children's area of the early childhood. These are all, yes, these are all of our people that we couldn't do without. We love them. We do that with the amazing Ellen Schaub and yeah. Very thankful for that. But I want to show you a picture of our family just so you can know a little bit more about us. And, you know, I could talk all day about these people. They're my people, you know. I love them so much. But I'm going to stay on task. <laughs> I'm going to stay on task. But I just want you to know we have four awesome adult children. Uh, Meredith, Jonathan, Alyssa, and Michael, who's about to be a senior in college. We've done college a lot of years. We're almost done. <laughs> We're almost done. Three of them are married to the, we couldn't ask for better uh, spouses for our children. And uh, we have one incredible daughter-in-law, Julianne, and two wonderful sons-in-law, uh, Donnie and Thomas. And we have three delightful grandchildren, Adelaide, Lachlan, and Leo. <laughs> you know, when I uh, look out over the audience and see your faces, there's a lot of faces I love out here too. And I know your stories, some of you. I know your God stories. And because of that, I'm really sensitive and aware this morning that though Mother's Day is a fun time for most or some people, it's not celebratory day for everybody. For some people, it's a day where their arms and their hearts feel really empty, really extra empty. Or maybe it's a day that's not full of childhood memories that uh, were of a nurturing home, and so it's sad. There's a sadness. Or maybe uh, there's you're choking back emotion today because you've lost your own mother. I've been there, done that. I understand that. I still think that there's still others that, you know, we carry around this really heavy, ugly weight of comparison. And so some of you are under that weight of comparison and feeling um, disappointed maybe with what the current status is of your family relationships. But... I want to tell y'all that this morning, I have a word for you, no matter where you are on that spectrum or the combination that you are on that spectrum. And I want to share it with you because, you know, today is meant to encourage you. And I want to point us all to one fundamental source, and that is hope. I want to be relevant and applicable no matter where you are in that spectrum. But make no <laughs> doubt about it. Mothers really need and are desperate for hope. So I want to speak that special word over them also. Now, when our daughter Alyssa and her uh, husband Thomas had their baby in December uh, in Waco, you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm at the hospital. We were all there, gathered around. It was exciting. Look at him. <laughs> It was really exciting, but after all the pictures had been taken and, uh, and the excitement, we had died down a little bit and family members were leaving one by one. 
We, David and I, were the last ones that were gonna leave Alyssa and Thomas's room that night. And I bent down and kissed her goodbye. And Leo was all of four hours old. He was swaddled tightly, you know, like a little baby burrito in her arms and in her happy, happy but tired arms. I leaned down and gave her a kiss. And, <laughs> and she looked up at us and she said, kind of half serious, half joking, wait, what do we do now? <laughs> Y'all are leaving us? You know, what do we do? What do we do? We all did exactly what you're doing now. We all chuckled and we said, you're not alone. The nurses are going to help you tonight. <laughs> the nurses are going to help you and we'll be back in the morning. But you know, I've seen that look in a lot of mothers' faces. And the mother's old and the mother's young. And honestly, I've caught that reflection in my own eyes. Wait, what do we do now? Am I doing this right? You know, I just stand here today. I don't have any magical formulas for parenting. But I am confident that hope in God, his character, and his promises are what we need to stay on a great track. I believe that God looks at us and he whispers, you're not alone. He tenderly says it, you're not alone. I'm here for you and hope is here. Romans 15, 13 in the Amplified Version of the Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. I've been thinking a lot about hope lately. Last fall, I read a book by Christine Kane called Unexpected, and she has one chapter in it where she delves into Zechariah 9. And there's a verse in there that says, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Today, I declare that I will restore to you double. We all need our hope restored. The world is a hope sucker. It shouts out to us through the news, comparisons, statistics, Facebook, Pinterest, that you're not enough. And you don't have what it takes to raise these children in the new millennium. And I'm telling you, that is a lie. You have something to rely on. Psalm 39.7 says, but now, O Lord, on what am I relying? You are my only hope. Shortly after reading that chapter, the word hope just started jumping out at me everywhere. It was in Bible verses. It was in lyrics of songs. It was uh, on home decorations. I even saw it on a container of hummus. <laughs> oh, hummus, who knew? Who knew? And then... Then Joanna Gaines' Magnolia Journal came out. The thrill of hope was on the front of it. Christmas time was right around the corner, and then hope was really everywhere. But let it be known, hope is not just a Christmas word. 
Rather, hope is an indispensable, life-sustaining, necessary constant. A biblical definition of hope is unshakable confidence in God, confident expectation. A a tradition that used to be common and popular in earlier generations was the practice of filling what was called a hope chest. So that's what I have up here as an example of a hope chest. And in that tradition, a girl would fill the hope chest through her girlhood years, childhood years, with linens and china and different things she would need later in life when she had her own household. It was an in anticipation of later life, she would fill her hope chest. I think there's a parallel here. Metaphorically, we all have a hope chest, our hearts and our minds. Whether you're young or old, man or woman, married or single, it doesn't matter. We all have a hope chest and a responsibility to be filling it with the truths about God that we will need in anticipation of life. We will need it next week. We will need it next year. And we will need it 10 years from now. You will never run out of your need for hope. I need it every single day. Hope is always the answer to wait. What do we do now? There's a popular show on Netflix called Tidying Up. I bet y'all know about it. <laughs> this really cute little Japanese woman, she, Marie Kondo, she helps people declutter their homes and personal spaces. And she has a familiar question that she always asks them when they're trying to determine what to keep and what to get rid of. Of course, that question is, does it spark Thank you. (laughs) That's a spark joy. I believe a qualifying question that we need to be asking when we're decluttering our heart and mind space is, does it spark hope? Interestingly enough, the hope chest of the 1900s was lined with cedar because cedar was known to be a repellent against bugs or other things that would try to make its home in the hope chest and eat away at the contents. Funny little side story, but I think it's applicable. When I was a child, we moved to a new house and a new town, and the closet that was in my brother's room in the house was lined with cedar, the closet. And so, you know, his clothes were in there all the time, and so he kind of smelled like cedar. (laughs) And... After we'd lived there a couple months and at church one day, another child looked at him and said, why do you always smell like a hamster? (laughs) (laughs) My point for telling you that is that we are going to carry the aroma of what's in our heart, what's in our hope chest. Do we carry the stink and fear of discouragement and despair? We must line our hope chest with the truth about God. Our cedar is the promises and the words of God. (laughs) Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? 
And why have you become restless and disturbed within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him. Fear and discouragement cause us to be restless and disturbed. They proceed and encourage, and encourage despair. Hope is noted in this passage as being the repellent of the restless soul. Hope, again, is confident expectation. Another example of this is from Lamentations 3. In that chapter, the, the writer is lamenting about affliction. He just goes on and on. You know, do you know the difference between complaining and lamenting? Complaining, mm, you're just, you know what complaining is. <laughs> lamenting is expressing to God, but you have trust that he's a good God. So he was lamenting, though, about his affliction, loss of peace, and hard circumstances. And then it's like he does this little shift. He, or he opened up his gratitude journal. I'm not sure. But I've heard some writers refer to this as the holy but. He said, he's uh, lamenting and then says, but this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. It is because of the Lord's loving kindnesses that we are not consumed. Because his tender mercies, compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him and wait expectantly for him. This past Christmas, our granddaughter, Addie, had a little Christmas program at her preschool. It was two days after Leo had been born in Waco. But that morning, I jumped up, got in the car, drove from Waco to Dallas, and I was there for the Christmas program, of course. Afterwards, Adelaide came running up to me and grabbed me around the legs so tightly, and she said, Nini, I knew you'd be here. Well, of course, that just thrilled me because in all the excitement of the new baby being born, we really hadn't talked about me getting to come to the program. But later I thought, that was a perfect example of confident expectation. In childlikeness, I want to be able to exclaim, God, I knew you'd be here. <clears throat> you know, we hear a lot about promises of God. I, would, I do want to say this. As delighted as, I, as delighted as I was about Addie and what she said, God carries that same delight in his heart when we respond that way to him. Well, Psalm 147.11 tells us, God delights in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now I wanna propose that our hope test be filled with God's promises. We hear a lot around here about the promises of God. So why are we gonna talk about that on Mother's Day too? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that because hope and the promises of God are linked together all 
through scripture. Max Lucado describes the promises of God as the stitching in the spine of the Bible holding together its contents. I love that. The stitching in the spine of the Bible holding together its contents. One researcher noted that there were 7,487 different promises of God noted in Scripture. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, heard the promise, heard the angel, believed it as a promise, and hid it in her heart, in her hope chest. Don't you know that she had to pull that back out so many times and remember it when the circumstances of her life didn't line up? The circumstances that she could see with that were going on with her son, they didn't line up with what that promise was. So she had a choice to make of whether or not to believe it. Mary had this word spoken to her, no word from God will ever fail. We have the same promise. Hebrews 6 in the message exhorts us to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. We must filter our circumstances through the promises of God. Now, we are not going to try to attempt to hide 7,487 promises in our hope chest. I know y'all want to go to lunch. (laughs) And there's long lines today. (laughs) But I want to take a few minutes to hide a few in there so that we, like Mary, can go back when our circumstances don't line up and when our hearts cry out, wait, what do we do now? God can be trusted and hoped in because of his character, especially his love and faithfulness. We cannot, oh, listen to this. We cannot afford to just believe in God. We must believe God. When we were in SOT, we read a book called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Comer notes in that book that hope is the absolute expectation of the coming good based on the character of God. He goes on to great lengths to expound on the passage in Exodus 34. I have part of it up here. Where God describes himself. Now, you need to perk up and listen. He's describing himself, and then it's repeated all through Scripture this way that God describes himself. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, he explains that the word there that is compassionate is derived from a root word that means female womb. He's likening it to the way a mother feels about her infant child. So when we're in hard circumstances, we need to dig into our hope chest and pull out the truth that God loves us, that he's merciful, that he's compassionate, that he even has a motherly love for us. 
<clears throat> that passage says that God is loving and faithful, but not that he's just loving and faithful. We're gonna put this in our hope chest. But that his love and faithfulness abound. Not just a little, but his love and faithfulness are excessive, consistent, constant and dependable. Let me turn my page. <laughs> but you know, remember, we don't just have things in our hope chest and look at them. We're supposed to use them. That was the whole purpose of having a hope chest was to use the contents. So how are we gonna use this promise of God's love and faithfulness? <clears throat> Psalm 92, one through two, is a perfect example of how to practically use God's promise of his love and faithfulness. That passage says, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. We need to praise God continually for his love and faithfulness. That word proclaim there, when I looked it up a while back in the dictionary, it said it had the the idea of authoritative. When you proclaim, there's authority to it. It gave the example of when you're playing cards like spades and you have the trump card and the trump card always wins. So it was the idea here is that God's love and faithfulness always win over our situations. It's the trump card. Yes, our circumstances are difficult, But wait, what do we do now? We authoritatively throw down the trump card of God's love and faithfulness. What if we proclaimed God's love every morning and had the confidence that it wins and trumps over all of our circumstances? What if we proclaimed God's faithfulness every night? Viewing our circumstances through the lens of faithfulness instead of through the lens of fear. Recently, I experienced this throwing down of God's love and faithfulness in a really, um, a real way, <laughs> a true way. Y'all, probably everybody here knows Marty West. And you know, you know, he's very good friends of ours. And you know, he had a uh, basically emergency quadruple bypass surgery about a month ago. The night before Marty had his open heart surgery, there were several of us gathered in his room and we were getting ready to leave. And he said, well, let's sing a song first. And uh, his son Lucas was in the room, who was also a praise and worship leader, and he had his guitar with him. So Lucas picked up the guitar, and he said, do y'all know Living Hope? <laughs> Jeremy was in the room too. We were all like, yeah, we know that one. We, we do, we know that. So in room 200 of the Richardson Methodist Medical Center, the words of Living Hope were sung. They weren't just sung, they were sung loud and strong and with conviction. <laughs> we threw down. <laughs> we threw 
threw down the trump card of God's love and faithfulness with every note and lyric. The next day after the heart surgeon came and gave Angela a positive report, the first thing she wanted us to do was go to that chapel on the second floor and praise God. And so we did. And those words and lyrics were sung again. Now I gotta tell you, it was, it was kind of a holy moment. <laughs> but I was confident that even if the report hadn't been as positive, we'd have gone up there and sung anyway. And we would have thanked God because Angela and knew that God was in control and he had our Marty's best in mind and he was loving. Another characteristic of God that gives us great hope is that he is frugal. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard that God was frugal? Which means he wastes nothing. God is the original recycler. <laughs> you know, as, as believers, I'm going to hide that in my heart because we're going to pull that one out again, aren't we? Yep. As believers, we refer to Romans 8, 28 often and for good reason. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. You can have hope and confident expectation that God will recycle your tough situations too. There are countless ways that uh, God recycled Marty's surgery. He was here in the first service. I don't think he's here now, but guess who he had with him? One of his nurses. Mm-hmm. Yep, one of his nurses. People all over that hospital were affected by his loving demeanor and by his unapologetic references to Jesus. And in that hospital that night before when we sang those words to living hope, there were people in the room full of faith and there were people in the room that hadn't embraced faith. But you know what I witnessed? I witnessed tears running down the eyes of those who hadn't accepted Jesus, but their tears were running down their eyes as they heard and saw firsthand faith and trust being expressed in song. <clears throat> Another promise that we have in our hope chest is that God is our shepherd. Bet you didn't expect to see that today. <laughs> I think they may be saying, wait, what do we do now? Did you know that if a sheep gets turned over, it can't turn itself back on its feet? And it can, it can die fairly quickly because of that, because its breathing is affected because of the weight of the wool. About, uh, you know, there are many references in the Bible to Jesus being our shepherd and us being his sheep. I'm gonna hide this in our hope chest. About six years ago, I was in Kenya and Alyssa and my nephew and I were involved in a little minor car accident. Uh, a, a truck hit us. And so when it happened, my nephew said, now y'all don't get out of the car. So we said, okay. So we sat in the, stayed in the car, but we watched to see what would happen. 
And three men got out of the cab of the truck, three Kenyan men. Two of them came over to us, uh, to my nephew. The driver, though, went to the back of the truck first. The back of the truck was full of upside-down sheep. We just saw these legs. It's true, true story, right, Liz? We saw these legs. We were like, we watched as he got in the back of the truck. My nephew's over here waiting, you know, and he turned each one right side up on its feet, every sheep. How much more does God, our good shepherd, tend to us eagerly and set us right side up when we are affected by the collisions of life? Psalm 23, 6 says, surely, and you know, I think if there was ever a word that meant confident expectation, it's surely. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to refer back. This is our third time today to look at this scripture, but it's worth it. It's so great. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we overflowing on, spilling joy and peace on others? One of my favorite personal overflowers was my grandmother, Hazel Colt. My grandmother lived to be just a few months short of 100. <laughs> she used, when, when I was a child, we lived in Southern Illinois, and she lived in Midland, Texas. And she would come every summer and visit us for an entire month. And when she would come, she would always bring the same giftings in her yellow American tourister suitcase. She'd bring corn tortillas, uh, black-eyed peas, okra, and a socket to me cake. <laughs> It's true. But some of my favorite memories about my grandmother is the everyday wisdom that she would gift us with. Whenever she would leave us, she always ended our time together with two words. Not goodbye. Not, um, not even uh, be careful. Not love you. She always said, be particular. I'm not kidding you. Every time, be particular. That was like her ending phrase. Particular, exceptional, special, uncommon, remarkable. Perhaps she meant be intentional with how you overflow. I took her to be saying, be particular about the choices you make the words you say, and the attitudes that you have. I've never known anyone else to use that phrase but her. But then again, my mother, grandmother knew something about being particular. She chose her words and attitudes carefully for almost 100 years. She married really young, and my grandfather worked on an oil rig, so they moved like really frequently. My father was the oldest of her six children, and he said they moved 30 times before he went into high school. Yeah. <laughs> she was consistently joyful, even though she was widowed in her early 
40s, or in her late 40s, excuse me. Okay, and I'm going to tell you all a side note about her that's just funny. But when she moved to Midland, and um, she stayed there. She taught kindergarten at her local Baptist church for 50 straight years. Now, they did award her with a plaque. <laughs> they did. Now, that's not really good. I'm not, all of y'all, we've got a lot of children's helpers in here. <laughs> We're not going to ask you to sign up for 50 years, but I just think that's amazing. That just tells you something about her, her heart. When a tragedy struck our extended family, and this was the sudden death of my two-year-old niece, my grandmother hugged me. She whispered in my ear, we don't stop trusting God. Her hope was anchored in God, faith, his love. Now, sometimes we can misplace our hope. <laughs> if we aren't being intentionally particular, we can get distracted, forgetful, or complacent. Psalm 119 repetitively, repetitively over and over again says, I have put my hope in your word. Believe God's word. Believe what he says about himself. His character is one of the only things that's never going to change. Recently, we had gone to lunch with Meredith and the children, and when we got home that afternoon, she texted us and said, Y'all remember seeing Lachlan's pacifier? <laughs> like, we were no help. We had no idea where that pacifier was. But we thought, oh, it's going to be a rough evening at the Tapey home without that pacifier. <laughs> well, I guess what happened was the next morning, Addie came in to Meredith and Donnie and said, I remember where the pacifier is. We were playing, and I put it in a drawer. <laughs> so they went to the drawer and opened it up, and sure enough, there it was. It had been there all along. So many of our discomforts can be relieved and pacified if we remember where to look. Often the comfort is there all alone, just waiting to be found. You need to open up our hope chest and find the promises of God's love, his faithfulness, his frugality, his shepherd heart. I close by telling you one more really personal story. I better get a drink of water first. <laughs> I would be remiss to not share with you about my own mother today. 30 years ago, when I had just turned 27, our second child was born, Jonathan. Six days later, my mother was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, which was kidney cancer. When she was diagnosed, it already spread through a lot of her body. There were so many nights that I would sit and rock Jonathan, and the stinging tears would stream from my eyes as fluidly as the stinging prayers would stream from my heart. God, please heal her. God, please don't let her die. Please don't let this be in vain. A 
Nine months later, we got a call to come to the hospital in Houston. <clears throat> Mother was barely 56 years old and not expected to live through the night. My siblings and dad and I gathered around her, hovered there with her. She was unconscious and um, her breathing was real heavy but shallow and we weren't very familiar with the things of death and we were wondering every with almost every breath is this her last one she would breathe and then it would kind of hang and we would think is this it and then my dad would kind of shake her shoulder and it would come back down again this had gone on several times and my sister finally said dad let her go let her go. He said, I'm not ready yet. Mom's heart was young and strong, and so she didn't die that night. She lived four more days and four more nights, and we stayed right there with her. We laughed as we reminisced about our childhood, and we cried as we thought about the years going forward when she wouldn't be there, and when our children wouldn't get to experience her as their grandmother. When she did finally take her last breath, we were all still gathered around her. My dad, always respectful and reserved, was now ready. He, a man of few words, blessed his family with what he said. The color flushed from my mother's body, and we all gasped this collective gasp of the obviousness. That was her last breath. That was it. And then my dad said, Honey, you're the victor. You're the victor. I was marked by that day. The story of your life is going to be told. You are making deposits into the lives of your children and the lives of other people that you're around. Deposits that will yield treasure for years to come. Over 500 people attended my mother's funeral. When we left and started living day after day with this huge void, we had a question to answer. I had a question to answer. Wait, what do I do now? My mother died. But thankfully, my hope didn't die. I have a living hope. I, like you though, had a choice to make, to stand on the circumstances of life or on the promises of God. Thankfully, the good shepherd came and turned me right side up even though everything in me was upside down with that collision with death. How do we return to hope? We return by following the breadcrumbs of truth about God's character. The GPS of His Word takes us back to the hope chest. We fling it open and we look in and we see what was there all along ready to pacify the promises that God is loving and faithful. I love the song, Hope Has a Name. 
the lyrics are, there is a song, I know it well, a melody that's never failed. On mountains high and valleys low, my soul will rest my confidence in you alone. There's that confidence again. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus. Oh Christ be praised, I have victory. My dad got it right that day. I think he found his way back to the hope chest. He opened it up and with a grieving heart, he found the word victory. It was there all along. The events didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. What we prayed for didn't happen the way we asked for it to happen. But you know what? My dad, he knew that God was there. He knew that he's loving and that he's faithful and he makes things turn out eventually. (laughs) That his arm is not too short to pull us back up when our weary faith is causing us to seek. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Oh, Christ be praised, I have victory. And then the closing lyrics of that song, I bow my life, I fix my eyes on Christ my King. That, dear friends, is what we do now. Now, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this sweet time together this morning. Lord, I thank you that there's always sweetness because there's always Jesus, which always means we always have hope. We always have confident expectation. Lord, fill our minds, our hearts, our hope chest with the truth about you and the truth about your love and the truth about Jesus' sacrifice for us. We can't thank you enough, Lord. Thank you. We want to fix our eyes. We want to bow our lives and fix our eyes on you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right there where you're seated. I, I want to repeat what Nancy said, and that is that hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And as we um, just take this, take advantage of this opportunity to be able to uh, just stop. Let's take this here. Thank you. Uh, just stop. And, and if you're visiting us this morning and, and maybe your, your mom or a friend invited you to come to church as a, hey, come to church with me this one time. Uh, this morning, I just want to tell you that hope has a name and you may not... Uh, this is the first time where, where you're saying, man, th- this is different than the way that I've heard it said before. And I would argue that that's the Holy Spirit, just uh, bringing, bringing conviction and making your heart burn in such a way that he is drawing you unto Jesus. And, 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 it, is, and it is you, your, your, your soul, your spirit, just saying, I need that hope. And, and, and I loved what Nancy said, that this hope is not a, I hope that maybe one day, but it's a sure hope. It's a certain hope 
that we know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And so um, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to know if there's anyone in the room today that is saying, I want to get to know who this Jesus is. And you, and you have not, uh, as the lyrics even to the song says, bow my knee to Jesus because he, he is hope. So if you could, right there where you're at, just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come up here, but if you say, I want, to, I want to bow my knee to Jesus and I want to serve him and I want to make him Lord over my life. If you could raise your hand right there where you're at, right now. Why doesn't everyone pray with me this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, we confess you as Lord and Savior. You are my living hope. And I give my life to you. Save me, deliver me, and make me into a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen.